Alright, as you can see, please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. And I'll reiterate something that I brought to your attention over a month ago. Something that I think Tony's already alluded to this morning. And the challenge that we're giving to our entire church is to memorize Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. This is our theme passage for the year. This is something we're going to come back to periodically throughout the year. Something we're about to dive deeper into this morning and the next few times in our preach over the month of May. But we challenge you to memorize this passage. And if you're on Facebook and you follow our Pine Tree Facebook group, pay attention this week. There's going to be some extra challenges coming along with it. We want to do this together. We want to do this as a church, and some of you may be thinking, why memorize? Isn't that something that kids do in their Bible classes? Is that something we still need to do as adults? Well, I think that memorization is a really important spiritual discipline. It's going to help your spiritual walk. It's going to help you grow. But taking a text and spending you know, several months on it, not just memorizing it, but letting this text become a part of who you are, not just in your mind, but in your heart. We want this prayer that we see in Ephesians 3 to influence how you pray. We want this to marinate. We want this to have what I sometimes call it's crock pot time. You prepare a sermon, you put it in the crock pot, you let it simmer for a little while. So we're going to do that with this passage throughout the year. And I'll remind you of something Tony already mentioned. We have these refrigerator magnets. They're out there on the welcome desk. Uh, We've mentioned it for several weeks now, but we encourage you to grab one per family and put it on your refrigerator. This is is a picture that I took. That's why it doesn't look great. That's a picture of the magnet on my refrigerator at home. And I go to the refrigerator a lot throughout the day. So I see this over and over, and it's been a great reminder to me. Sometimes I'll read over it. Sometimes I'll just look at it. It's, been, it's influenced how I pray on Saturday nights. Now, this is starting to influence my prayers. I do my final preparations for the sermon. And we want to do this together. One of my favorite words is this word, synergy. Synergy. Everybody just say synergy. That now you're experiencing some synergy because you said that together. This is an important word, I think, for churches. We work together. We're combined effort. You know, some people say synergy is one plus one equals three. Where you can accomplish so much more when you're doing it together rather than doing it alone. And that's how we're approaching this challenge to memorize Ephesians chapter three. So many years ago, there was a guy in Chicago who went to the same restaurant every week, and he had the same waiter every week. And every week, by mistake, he would always ask the waiter, do you guys sell waffles? And the waiter every week would have to remind him, no, sir, we do not sell waffles. We don't make those here. Well, finally, one day, this customer had no idea how irritating his behavior was, and the waiter was having a really bad day, so he just let loose on this customer, and he said, Sir, we don't sell waffles. We never have. We never will. And he said, Hello, clue phone. It's for you. We don't sell waffles. And by this time, everybody in the restaurant was over there looking at him. So this customer went and told his preacher what happened. The preacher, for whatever reason, decided to tell that story in the sermon that coming Sunday morning because it fit an illustration. And then guess what happened? Dozens of people from that church started going to that restaurant and asking for waffles. (laughs) 
And then guess what happened from there? The restaurant wound up putting waffles on the menu. So you could go to that restaurant and they have waffles. Now, that to me is the power of synergy, a church working together for a common purpose. And I think our common purpose is much more meaningful than trying to put waffles on a menu at a restaurant. We're wanting to be with this text and do it together. We're not doing it alone. So I want to read Ephesians 3. This is our scripture reading. We're going to read it again. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I'm reading from a new revised standard version. I'm memorizing it from an NIV. But I always encourage people to study from multiple English translations. So read along with me now or just follow along as we read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of His glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, and together as a church, let's say, Amen. What a great prayer. I actually read this in a sermon a little over a month ago as I was prepping you for what was coming for the year. And I read it again, and I've read it at home, and I've read it on the refrigerator magnet, and I'm constantly amazed by the wording. It's deep. There's there's a lot of things in this prayer. This does not sound like how I normally pray, but I want it to influence how I pray. Most of this text is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. And this is my prayer for my kids, it's my prayer for this church, it's my prayer for me, and it's my prayer for what we do as a church. As we take this text, uh, over the next few times that I preach, we're going to look at it from different angles. So if you ever watch a movie, or ever watch a TV show, or I'm a sports fan, so I use sports as an example, uh, you know that when you watch something, you're not just watching it through the same camera lens. There's multiple cameras... They give you different shots. They give you different perspectives. It's most helpful in sports when there's an instant replay because they can look at a play and zoom in or zoom out and look at it from different perspectives, different angles. And so I'm taking this approach to Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I want to look at it from three different camera angles. I've mentioned to you before that We take our vision for our church and we are having three, we have these three focus areas for this year, which is Christ in you, Christ in others, and Christ in families. Now they overlap each other a lot, but the way that I'm going to approach Ephesians 3 over the next few times that I preach is I'm going to look at this passage from a different lens, okay, from one of those three focus areas. And this morning, I look at Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, through the lens of Christ and others. What does that mean? Christ and others, and what does that have to do with what we're reading in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21? This question has been on my mind all week as I think about Christ and others, and I think about this passage 
And that's this. What if this prayer were answered for people in our community who do not know Christ? We live in the Bible Belt, and we see churches all over this community, all over Longview and the greater Longview area. But what if we took what Paul is requesting, what Paul is praying for in Ephesians 3, and what if this prayer were answered for people who live in our community who don't know Christ, who do not have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith? What if this prayer were answered for people outside of these church walls? A few weeks ago, it was a Saturday, it was raining, visibility was low, and I was going to the store, and I took my son with me, my three-year-old son, he was in his car seat in the back. We were driving Tenerville Road, about to turn right on Pine Tree Road, so just right over here. And at the red light, I stopped, and then I was taking a right, there's two lanes, I saw a car coming, but it was way off in the distance, and as I took the turn, I realized that car was coming really fast. And they had another lane to get into, but I guess I upset them because I turned right. And so they got right up on my bumper, almost hit me. And then they swerved right beside me, not in the next lane, in my lane. And they cut me off into the turn lane. So I quickly got in the turn lane, and then they cut me off right in front of me. And then I saw their reverse lights come on, and they came at me really fast. I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, I got my son in the car with me, and they almost hit me twice. And then within a split second, the guy was out of his car... And charging towards me. And this is a true story. I know I've told stories before about things that happened in my head. But this was a true story. <laughs> the guy's charging at me, yelling, cussing, whatever. I don't know. And I'm just sitting there. And all I thought to do was I hold up my hands. Because I didn't know if this guy had a gun on him or what. I hold up my hands to show him I don't have any weapon. And I just said, calm down. And I said, I'm sorry. And then he turned right before he got to the door. Kept pointing his finger at me and saying stuff. And went and got in his car and drove off. It all happened so fast. I mean, within just a few seconds. Almost got hit twice by this guy. This guy wanted to, me to get out and fight him on Pine Tree Road. Little did he know that I worked at a church just right around the corner. So if he wanted to pick a spot to fight, we'd need to go to a different part of town. But... <laughs> no, I got my son in the car with me. I don't know if this guy had a weapon. Like, it was a crazy thing. So I turned and went the opposite direction. And it, the adrenaline didn't even kick in for a few minutes because it all happened so fast. And I started thinking, if the thought just crossed my mind, what if I prayed for that guy? It's a weird thought. And I, I wound up praying for him. I, I called 911 first to let him know they had a psychotic driver on the road. Gave him the best description of the guy and the truck that I could. But then I just thought, what if I prayed for someone like this? What would you pray for? And I thought about Ephesians 3 and I thought... What if this became a prayer for that guy? What if the prayer for him was that he would be strengthened in his inner being through the Spirit of Christ so that Christ will dwell in his heart through faith and, and somehow that guy, this stranger who wanted to get out and fight me, what if he came to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, the height and the width and the length and the, and the depth of the love of this Christ that we have that Paul prays about in Ephesians 3. What if he came to know that? What if this prayer were answered for this stranger? Maybe he would stop road raging. Maybe he would stop living life on edge and ready to fight strangers. I guarantee you, if Christ were dwelling in his heart through faith, that situation would have never happened. So my prayer has become, what if Ephesians 3 
What if what we're praying for, what we read about what Paul's praying for, what if this prayer were prayed for for people in our community who don't know Christ? And what if it started to become true? What if we helped become an answer for other people for this prayer? What if we helped serve as a connection between this prayer that Paul offers in Ephesians 3 and maybe one other person? You're all connected with different people. Work, school, neighborhood, whatever it may be, we all probably know someone who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith. And what if this prayer were true for them and you were the connection for at least one other person? So we look at this prayer with other focus, through that camera lens. And what Paul is not praying for is he is not praying for Someone to meet the minimum entrance requirements. So if you read back through a little bit of this prayer, verse 16, he says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit so that you can meet the minimum entrance requirements that you can get into heaven someday when you die. That's not what the prayer says. So as I think about Christ and others and how this prayer affects disciple Making, I was thinking about Dallas Willard, this great, the late Dallas Willard, this Christian author who coined this phrase, the minimum entrance requirement. And he said that most Christians seem to approach their faith in this way, and we seem to approach evangelism in this way. Minimum entrance requirement speculates on the least that someone could do and still just kind of squeeze or eke their way into heaven when they die. If we approach our faith this way, we're missing something. If we approach our faith this way, we're missing what Paul is praying for in Ephesians chapter 3. Imagine on your wedding day, or in your marriage, if you ask your spouse, what's the least I need to do to stay married to you? Would that be a, a great marriage? Probably not. That wouldn't work. Why do we approach our faith that way? Why do we approach outreach and evangelism that way? It's not about minimum requirements. We're not, it's not about just what's the least that someone can do to believe. What we're inviting people in is this rich, robust life and the love of Christ that Paul is inviting us to in Ephesians chapter 3. A guy named Paul Hebert, when it comes to outreach, evangelism, disciple making, came up with these two different charts many years ago. And he said we kind of approach it as either a bounded set or a centered set. A bounded set looks like this, where there's the red circle is the boundary. And when it comes to outreach, let's say, is if someone is outside of the boundary, they're on the outside, and we're just trying to get them to cross the boundary. Anything from there, once they're in the boundary, that's up to them. That's not a requirement, it's just whatever they do, whatever they choose to do. We just try to get them to cross that boundary. And he said, maybe... This is Paul Hebrew speaking. Maybe a healthier approach to this would be a centered set. Where Christ is at the center. And what we're trying to do as followers of Jesus and what we want others to do is to be ever moving towards the center. And that is, I believe, what Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is inviting others to do. Is Jesus is at the center. The love of Christ is at the center. And Paul is inviting people to slowly, genuinely move towards that center. That's what the prayer is inviting us to do. 
So we look at this prayer and we think about Christ and others. My question is, how do we help this prayer become a reality for someone else? What would that look like? A few weeks ago, I was uh, at the Silver Grizzly Coffee Shop. You know, occasionally I'll go work on my sermons at different places in this community. And people had recommended this coffee shop to me. So I drove over there one day and I sat at a table with my coffee. I had my commentaries and my computer and everything out. It was actually, I was studying for Mark chapter 13. So I was reading all these books about the end of the world. So I'm sure that anybody around me thought I was... Strange person, but it was also the destruction of the temple. And I'm studying for this sermon, and as I'm in public doing this, I can kind of overhear what other people are talking about, the way other people look, and things like that. And in walked these two guys. One looked like maybe he was mid 30s, early 40s. The other guy looked like he was in his early 20s, probably a college student. They got their coffee, and they came and sat two tables over from me. So I could overhear a lot of what they were talking about, not everything. The older guy had a Bible and a book, and the book said something about discipleship, and that was all I could read. And I could kind of listen to some of the things that they were talking about, and they had conversations together as they drank their coffee. They talked about life. They laughed together. They talked about family. I could hear all sorts of things. They wound up having a short Bible study, and I could tell that this guy that was in his early 20s had a lot of questions. And for the next two hours, they just had a conversation together about life and faith. And this younger guy obviously either was not a believer, or maybe he had grown up a believer and walked away from the faith. But there was something about this friendship that caused the younger guy to go be with that older guy that day. And they're having this conversation back and forth. And I thought to myself, that is a great picture, a great example of what we mean by who's your one. And when I got up to leave... I almost went over there and took a picture of them or asked them if I could, but then I thought that may be a little too intrusive, so I just left and I kept a mental picture. And I'm thinking, here's one person discipling another person. And the younger guy obviously believed or he's on the fence and he's not sure what he believes. And the older guy was being patient and they were having a very healthy conversation in a safe place while they're drinking their coffee. And one of the questions that we've kicked around for over a year at this church is this question, who's your one? Our expectations, we have expectations of our members, and one of our expectations is that all of our members be actively discipling someone. So we pose this question, who's your one? Because we believe that if each member of our church is discipling one person, that means everybody is unleashed to be the disciple makers that God is calling us to be. And evangelism outreach doesn't just fall on like one or two or three or ten people. It's everybody taking responsibility. And it's not too overwhelming. It's just one person. And in light of this prayer, who's your one, can maybe be defined like this. One person intentionally investing in the life of another. With the ultimate purpose of what we read about in this prayer. That they come to know this Jesus. This all-consuming, life-altering love of Christ. That's our goal with Who's Your One. Is we want to reach people so that they can come to know this love of Christ that we read about in Ephesians chapter 3. So I want to offer you just three challenges for this week. 
three challenges that are simple and that you can do, and then it's not just something that here's a sermon point and then you go about your business. But the first challenge is this. Begin memorizing Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I've heard from a few of you that some of you are already uh, a long way into this and you have quite a bit of it memorized. Some of you have completely forgotten that we challenged you with this since last month. Grab one of those magnets, put it on your refrigerator, spend time throughout this week just reading Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and try to memorize maybe one of the verses. That's simple. Just spend some time in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and then spend some time praying about who's your one. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's somebody that you know, a family member. I don't know who that would be, but what if you spent time praying and asking God like we asked you to do last year? Just ask God to show you, to reveal to you who your one is. Who is one person that you want to intentionally invest in throughout this year and begin a discipling relationship with? If you were with us last year, we wrote a name down on a card and I wrote a name down on a card of a guy that I had lunch with a few times, but our paths never really crossed, and so having a real discipling relationship with him was almost impossible. So I've been praying about it, and next week when we write some names down on a card, I'm going to write a different name. But for some of you, if you were with us last year, you might write down the same name, or you might prayerfully consider a new name. But that's your challenge this week, is spend time memorizing Ephesians 3. Pray about who your one is. And once you know who your one is, pray this prayer from Ephesians 3, 14-21. Pray this prayer for your one. This is what we want. This is Christ and others. This is what we want to see accomplished and become a reality in the lives of other people in this community. But you can't get to number three before you accomplish number two. What would it look like if this prayer were answered for people in this community who don't know Christ? And how can we serve as a connection for one other person? This is a great prayer. And Paul talks about this love that surpasses all knowledge. And as you read through this, we did our scripture reading, I read it up here, and if you're in the audience right now and you're thinking, you know, I don't think Christ really dwells in my heart through faith. I don't think I've ever come to know this love of Christ when just a moment when we offer an invitation, we just want you to know that we can help you take a step closer to Jesus. I'm going to be up front with one of our elders. We're going to have some shepherds around the room that you can come and talk to. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've never put on Christ in baptism and become a follower of Jesus, we have an opportunity to help you with that. Or there may be others of you who think, I've become distant from this love of Christ. You know who you are. You know the needs that you have. And we have shepherds of this church who would be glad to meet with you, to talk with you, and to take this time to pray with you. So if you have any of these needs, you can come up front. You can find one of our shepherds in the back around the room. And I want to invite you to stand as we continue to sing.